Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. If you have a Bible, you can open it to James chapter 2. We'll be there in just a moment. And you look on the screen, you see two kids playing. You see, prejudice is unnatural. Young kids just see other kids as kids. They have to learn to become prejudiced. It's not natural. So I have a question for you. How on earth could skin tone make such a difference to some people? I mean, you can change a little bit of your skin tone just by using one of these uh, platters. What are they called? (laughs) Pallets? (laughs) Okay. I don't know how much makeup you put on. You might need a platter full. I don't know. So uh, I'm glad that most guys don't wear it. So uh, guys on TV do, but... uh, It's ridiculous that a little difference in skin color could make such a difference to some people. Uh, Sadly, um, I just really learned this week that uh, the skin tone difference, it makes a difference in your medical care. Women who are not white have worse medical care when they're expecting a baby. As a general rule, even in our country, or maybe especially in our country, I don't know. But it's sad. That's, this is a big, huge deal. And I want you to really catch on to this idea that God is anti-prejudice. Now, it, it means more than God is not prejudice, right? There's a, there's a difference between being not prejudice and being anti-prejudice. I know a lot of people who are not prejudiced, they don't see any difference between other people. They don't see, you know, they look at a person and they judge them based on, what was it Martin Luther King Jr. said he wanted to hear, that when people um, were evaluated on the character of their heart instead of the color of their skin, there's a lot of people who feel that way. But God is more than just not prejudiced. He is anti-prejudice. He is against prejudice. And by the way, I I can't mention Martin Luther King talking about character without mentioning in some areas of his life, Martin Luther King Jr. did not have character. And that's a sad fact of life, including the incident where he died. Shame that he was put to death, that some uh, lunatic shot him, but where he was and what he was doing was not based on character. Uh, but, But he still said some great stuff about character. So... God is anti-prejudice. God loves people. What kind of people? Well, you know, in some parts of the country, in some parts of the world, uh, they're taught that God loves white people. And that's absolutely true. But he loves a whole lot more than white. In fact, whites come in all shades, don't they? Some whites are like glow-in-the-dark white, and other whites are just not quite brown yet. And, And, you know, God loves all people. From the very lightest, palest skin, maybe, 
what is it, albino people have very fair skin that can easily get sunburned. They have to protect themselves. Maybe that's the very lightest skin that you could have, all the way to the very darkest skin that you could have. I'm colorblind, but I had a friend who was very dark skinned, and he said he would lay out in suntan. And he was already really dark. And I said, well, why do you suntan? He said, because when I get a nice suntan, my skin looks so dark, it's almost purple. And he thought that was really cool. I am colorblind. I have no idea what almost purple skin looks like. Um, but, but that's what he did. But you know what? God doesn't care the color of your skin. God cares about your heart. And Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. All who come to me, I will in no wise cast out, he said. Not based on your skin or your gender or your ethnicity or your uh, job, your wealth. He is anti-prejudice. He's against prejudice. In fact, God made every person on the planet a descendant of two people. Adam and Eve. Every person you've ever seen in your life, every person you ever will see in your life is a direct descendant of Adam and Eve. Everybody is. Some are lighter, some are darker, but everyone is directly connected through Adam and Eve. Prejudice is wrong. God is against prejudice. He is anti-prejudice. God hates the prejudice of those who judge people on the color of their skin. He hates the prejudice of those who consider themselves better because they're maybe more intelligent. They score better on standardized tests, and so they look down on other people who struggle with testing sometimes. Uh, there's the prejudice of people, some people, even in Christianity, have a prejudice toward those who've been divorced, uh, as if the person who is the innocent victim of a cheating spouse is a lesser person. You know, Kathy and I rejoice. We've been married 41 years, and some of you have done way better than that. Uh, but we rejoice that we've both stayed true to our marriage vows. But there's wonderful, godly people in this room who had a man had his wife cheat on him, a woman had her husband cheat on him, and they had no say in the matter. They loved God and wanted to serve God, and they ended up divorced. So don't look down on people that are different than you. James writes about God's disgust with those who despise the poor and show favoritism to the wealthy. Look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 of James. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. God is anti-prejudice. Now, this, this is a problem in America. America loves the wealthy. America, uh, like, there's almost a cult worship of those who are in Hollywood in America. You know, and people follow British royalty and American movie stars as if they were better people because they're popular and they're wealthy. And, you know, I, 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 I have to laugh a little that people love reading about the royal couples and their struggles and all this in Britain. You know what? They're the reason we left Britain. We shouldn't celebrate them and follow them. We should be thankful we're not there with them. 
Read your history books. All right? Here's some ideas that we're going to see in James chapter 2. Number one, you cannot follow Christ and be prejudiced. You cannot. You say, wait a minute, I know people in church that are. Yeah, I have had relatives, not my parents. My parents were wonderful, open. Uh, we had friends, Asian and African-American descent and European descent and Eastern European descent and the country of India descent and uh, Hispanic descent. We had all kinds of friends over at our house all the time growing up. And that's how God's house is going to be in heaven. And that's how God's house should be on earth. We should welcome all because we're all part of the family of God. But sometimes there are people in church who are prejudiced against other people. And in fact, uh, my dad had a pastor tell him he was sending him out to make some visits. And he said, listen, if you knock on the door and the person who answers the door is not white, just tell them you're sorry you came to the wrong house. Now, I'll tell you a little bit of how that pastor changed a little bit later. But uh, if anyone is prejudiced, they're not following God in that area of their life. They're not following God at that time. You cannot follow Christ and be prejudiced. You can't do both at the same time. More specifically, here in James, you cannot cater to the wealthy and follow Jesus at the same time. See, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You cannot hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. You can't do that. For verse 2, If there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality above, among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So, so, you know, I mean, honestly, a church needs money, right? We can't do the missions that we have to do here and our missionaries to support. We can't do that without money. We need funds. But when you walk in here, if a person walks in here and they're in a really nice car and obviously very wealthy, you don't want the deacons to rush up to them and, and oh, we're so glad to have you here today. You know, make sure they find a comfy seat and, and hand them a, a cold water bottle. And You don't want the deacons doing that because you can't do that and follow Christ. And see, what they were doing is they would kind of watch. And if a wealthy person came in, oh, they'd show them the favored spot. And now in Israel, in that culture, in that day, and where the group James was writing to, the tribes scattered abroad, uh, the best seat in the house was the front row. In Baptist churches today, the most coveted seat is the back row. <laughs> I don't know how that changed. But they would, they would bring them up to the front row. And they get the special treatment. And, and then another person, they're like, oh, well, you can sit here by my footstool. They're not going to prop their feet on his head, but they would, you know. E emotionally, they're doing that, but physically, they're not. So they, they were judging people based on their financial prosperity because it was rooted in the history of Israel that they assumed that a person who was financially prosperous was blessed by God and a person who was poor was not. 
It was their misunderstanding of Old Testament scripture. Job lost everything and was just as precious in the eyes of God as he was when he was very wealthy before that and when he was very wealthy after that. He was the same specialness to God, his creator, through the, all of that. So they were, they were showing this bias, and James says, listen, guys, this is wrong. It's not the right thing to do. They discriminated against the poor. They showed favoritism to rich people. And, and by the way, it, it seriously annoys me when these wealthy, influential, uh, wealthy people in Hollywood get on their soapboxes and start preaching to America. You know, uh, I, I really, really hate it when they show up in their limousines, which get like three miles to the gallon, and then they get out and they protest against uh, fossil fuel usage in America. Well, they could have ridden a bicycle there and not use fossil fuel, uh, but they want us little people to have to suffer, but they want to enjoy the riches of their uh, trade. And so uh, look down in verse 6. He says a little bit more about it. Uh, but you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not, they do not, I'm sorry, do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? He said, listen, this is what rich people do. They, and even today, our court system is slanted in favor of the rich. The rich who can afford the best attorney, the rich who can afford uh, uh, to, to pay people to lie. Our court system is slanted toward the rich. Even today, it was back then too. And so James has said, what you're doing is wrong. When you come to church, you come to church. There's a story told of the Duke of, oh brother, I can't remember it. It just suddenly skipped my brain. There was a duke in England um, who is like just below the royal family, a descendant. He, he's in line to the throne, but he's, he's down the list a little bit. And, and this duke went to church, and in their church, in that service, they came forward to receive communion. And uh, so they're, they're giving the communion out to them, and a poor man came and knelt by the duke. And so the priest or preacher, rector, whoever it was leading that service said to him, uh, you should move away from the duke. You shouldn't be that close to him. And the duke replied, the ground is level at the cross. You know, we come in here, we're all sinners saved by grace. You're either a sinner saved by grace or you're not yet saved by grace. You are a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 and 3.10 teach those. We know we need a Savior. And so James is saying, listen, when you gather together in your church service, you can't show favoritism to the wealthy. Remember when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth? He wrote about that. And it, they were having the Lord's Supper and everybody brought their own stuff. And so uh, the rich people, they were just eating a lot and indulging themselves and having a fun time and they were neglecting the poor people. And Paul said, it's not supposed to be that way. In fact, Paul said, some of those people got sick because of it and some of them died because they abused the Lord's Supper because they didn't recognize that we're all equal in Christ. We come to Christ 
and we're saved by grace because he's a merciful God and he saves us through Jesus Christ. And so we, we have to make sure that the church is the one place on earth where everybody's equal. Now, some people have a little bit more influence than others in the church because they're more faithful, but not because they give more money. The churches that allow somebody who gives more money to have more influence than someone else who is more faithful, that church is not following scripture. So if God has allowed you to accumulate wealth, enjoy it. You know, if I went around the room and I said, you know what, somebody has given me several million dollars and I get to give it out and I'm going to give everyone in this room 10,000 bucks. I don't think there's anybody in this room who'd say, oh, no, thanks, I don't need it. You know, even if they really didn't need it, they knew they could use it for something good, right? And, and you would think of something to do with that money. Uh, but, but what we need to do is if we're allowed to accumulate wealth, it's okay to enjoy it. But use it wisely. Don't just indulge yourself. Give generously. Bless the work of the Lord. Bless the lives of other people. You, you can make a huge impact for Christ. Now, my dad was committed to being very generous toward the work of the Lord, and, and uh, he could have left a huge inheritance to his kids. Um, I encouraged him not to, even though I'm one of his kids. I said, give it to the work of the Lord. And, you know, the last several years of my dad's life, he gave more than $40,000 to missions above his regular giving in the church. Just to help further the cause. He said, my time's limited and I wanna do it. And you know, he provided for his wife. My mom died and dad remarried and he provided for her with a retirement and he gave a little bit to uh, his kids, but he gave a lot to the work of the Lord because God gave him that opportunity. Now, I don't know as I'll ever be able to give $40,000 in one year, but it's cool when people use the funds they have to worship the Lord and further the cause of Christ. So don't expect special treatment. In fact, if people want to treat you favorably because of who you are, remind them that you're just another pilgrim on the road walking with Christ. In fact, I was talking with Jim and Jerry Reeves this week, and Jim told me the story of a guy he used to know and in the church back in the Chicago area. I don't remember which city they were in, but uh, outskirts of Chicago or suburb. And Jim has said, uh, he knew this guy, and when people asked this guy, what do you do? He says, well, I'm a, an accountant at whatever company, this big mega million dollar company. And, uh, or he'd tell him, you know, I work in accounting at whatever. Well, as Jim got to know him better, Jim and Jerry got to know him and his wife better, and they spent time with him, he found out that that guy was the controller for that mega million dollar company. And he had a huge paycheck, and he was generous toward the Lord. But at church, he didn't put on airs. He didn't act like he was better because 
God had given him an opportunity to earn more money. He was just one of the people. And it took Jim months to find out this guy wasn't just an accountant. He was over all the accountants in the entire company. We're supposed to focus on our joint sharing in Christ. So when you have a little extra money, share it with other people. Here's the second thing. Every believer is a joint heir with Christ. Every believer is a joint heir with Christ. I, I uh, started to get into this and thought I might as well put it up on the screen, right? Look at verse 5. Listen. You pay, pay attention. Hearken. Uh, pay attention, my beloved brethren. Now, he's writing to Christians. When, when in the New Testament, when they use the word brethren, they're writing to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, for most of my life, he was the default, the generic term. So uh, now they like, you have to say he and she. If the Bible were written today, they would say, listen, my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, because our culture has changed and the uses of words have changed. But when he says, my beloved brother, and he's writing to believers in Christ that he cares about deeply. That's what beloved, he loves them and cares about them deeply. So he says, has, not, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? The poorest believer on earth is a child of the king. He belongs with God in heaven. He'll have an inheritance together. He'll walk on streets paved with gold in heaven. You know, if they paved them with gold on earth, there'd still be potholes the way uh, life is on earth. But there won't be potholes in heaven. And, and so every believer is a joint heir with Christ. Um, we are called heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ in Romans uh, eight seventeen. And that's regardless of your marital status. Some are single by choice. They turn down opportunities to be married to people they didn't want to be married to. And others are uh, single not by their choice, by the choice of a spouse who cheated or left or whatever. Regardless of your marital status, regardless of your skin tone, regardless of your intelligence or your looks or your wealth, we are family. Man, I was really afraid when I said that phrase, I was going to start singing that. We are family song. And, uh, but aren't you glad I didn't? And now I put it in your heads anyway. Oh, well. I almost made it. But every believer is a joint heir with Christ. And truly, we are family. Now, you're closer to some believers than others. You, if if all of us are family, then, then you have a, a special closeness. Like, how many of you have a favorite uncle? Do you? A favorite uncle? So, ah, quite a few hands went up. How many of you have a favorite parent? Don't raise your hands if they're in here. No, don't, don't do that. But, but listen, we, we often have a favorite uncle or a favorite cousin or something like that. Uh, so there's some people you're, you connect with a little more closely. But family is family. And you know, when uh, we have a picture that I almost put in the PowerPoint of my family gathered together when my mom passed away and we had the memorial service for my mom and several families from the church here went down there and they uh, shared with us in our loss that night. 
In, in fact, Dan Weber preached here that Sunday night when I went down to preach my mom's memorial service. They had the service Sunday evening or afternoon, and so I was down there for that. And But the whole family was there. We, I had nephews and nieces and and uh, my siblings were all gathered there. We were all got one big picture of us all together. And, you know, there's some of them I stay in touch with. Like, I I'm interact with my siblings every week. We text each other back and forth and send jokes and memes and notes. And, and uh, But I don't do that with all my nieces and nephews. I don't do that with the cousins that showed up for that service. I have not talked to since, except one of them called me on the phone once. So, so you're closer to some, but you're family with all. Every believer is that way. And, you know, I think our church does a really good job of not exalting people who are wealthier. Uh, in fact, the, the, the seat back in the corner there, uh, who used to sit there every Sunday morning? Doug. Doug Allen did. And, uh, you know, Doug Allen went home to be with the Lord and... I, uh, you know, a few weeks later, Anna was riding in the car with us to church, maybe even a couple of months later. We're pulling into the church parking lot, and he was always there in his car. No matter how early we came, Doug was always there first. And we pull in, and, and uh, I think it was Anna said, you know, it's just sad that Mr. Doug is not there. He's with the Lord, but he was a valued member of our church. Now, Doug was poor. Doug struggled. Uh, different people in the church helped him at different times. But he loved the Lord and he loved this church and he felt fully accepted here. Because that's how it's supposed to be. We're family. And in the church, when we exalt people because of their education, well, they have an earned doctorate. How many of you know somebody who has an earned doctorate and they're still kind of dumb? Do you know people like that? Yeah, you know, I know people like that. Um, I don't have my earned doctorate. I can still be kind of dumb. I, I got, to, got it early. But, you know, there, just because you have a lot of education doesn't mean you have a lot of common sense. Some people are just better at certain kinds of education than others. So it's not wrong to be educated, but it's wrong to think you're better than people who are not. Getting educated really helps in a lot of areas of life. There's, it gives you tools and insights that you can use. But don't think you're better than other people. And so James is writing to this serious problem in the churches. And, and James didn't wake up one day and think, you know what, I think I'll whip a letter off. What can I fuss about today? That's the way some people are on the Internet. We call them trolls, right? Uh, but, but that's not the way James was. He was writing about a problem in the church that really concerned, and he was concerned for the sake of the churches, and he was concerned for the cause of Christ. And he said, don't let this be in your churches. Now, the good news is you can overcome any prejudice. You can overcome any prejudice. Can you click that up? Uh, look at my, my dad. I told you about that pastor, right? And that pastor actually told my dad, if you knock on the door and they're not white, just say you went to the wrong house. Now, that pastor expected my dad to say, okay. 
My dad didn't say, okay. You know, when we were kids, I, I don't remember it. <coughs> Excuse me. I was a little young. But I had an older sister who remembered and reminded us of this at my dad's memorial that we were on a family road trip. Road trips are spiritual. We were on a family road trip. And, and as we were going on this road trip, uh, we, it, you know, back in the days before the interstate, how many of you did road trips before the interstate, you know? And you're rolling through towns, and we pulled into this town, and we were all hungry. And so we got out of the car, we pulled up at this restaurant, we got out of the car, we're like, yes, and I remember stretching, you know, whenever we got out of the car, we'd stretch, and then we head up to the restaurant, and Dad says, go back and get in the car. We're not eating here. And we got in the car, and we start driving away, and Mom says, Jim... What was wrong with that restaurant? He said, they had a big sign in the window, whites only. And he said, I will not eat anywhere that my brothers in arms can't eat. Dad was in the Air Force. He served with people all, all around the world. He said, I will not eat in a place that will not accept my brothers. And I didn't remember that specific incident, but I knew growing up, that my parents were not just not prejudiced, they were anti-prejudice. They were against it. And so this pastor said that to my dad, and my dad didn't meekly say, okay. My dad said, you're wrong. That's not scriptural. Christ died for everyone. We need to reach out. You know what? The pastor listened to him. They eventually ended up having a great friendship. And just a few years later, that pastor had a very faithful deacon in his church who had very dark skin. And the pastor loved that man, and that man loved that pastor. See, just because you've been raised in it doesn't mean you have to stay in it. Just because it's been the habit of your life doesn't mean it has to persist. I know people who are thin who are extremely biased against people who are not thin. I know people who are tall who are extremely biased against people who are short. In fact, there's a song about short people, I think. There, there's, there's stuff out there. And, and you know what? God made people different. I had the opportunity of being both. I was a short one and then became a tall one because I was the shortest kid on the cross-country team my freshman year and the tallest one my senior year. I don't know why, but God allowed me to grow in high school. I was really short. I wasn't even five feet tall when I started high school, and I was over six feet tall when I graduated. And, but, but some people just look down on other people. People who like hot salsa look down on people that don't. You know? And... and we, we just, we build in all these things. But you can overcome any prejudice. You just have to grow in the Lord. In Acts 10, one of the scripture readings we had earlier in the service, Peter said that he had learned not to look down on anyone because God shows no partiality. The royal law, look in verse number 8 here, chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to, scripture, to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then you do well. 
But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The royal law, the law that was decreed by the king of kings, when Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment? The one that kind of sums up all the commandments. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second one's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, you can't say you love God and then you hate others. That doesn't work. When you have the love of God in your life and his love is being received by you, it's to flow out into the lives of other people as you connect with them and interact with them. You cannot say you love God and then not love the people that Christ died for. See, Christ died so that all could be saved. Christ gave himself so that people would have the opportunity to be saved. And you know what? God wouldn't care if they really were people who were purple. He would love them just the same. I don't think purple is really a skin tone, is it? Okay, I, I didn't think so. But God wouldn't care. A bunch of people were talking before church, they showed up today wearing orange. And so what if your skin was really orange? My brother's was once. You know, they had this fake skin tan stuff you can rub on, and he decided he wanted a really good tan, so he rubbed a lot of it on, and in the morning he was orange, and Dad made him go to school anyway. It was pretty funny. <laughs> but, but the royal law says you show love to everybody. That's what we're supposed to do. And James said, when you watch the rich people come in and you show favoritism to them, you're violating scripture. When you watch poor people come in and you kind of dismiss them and tell them, go sit off to the side somewhere, you're not following Jesus. Uh, look in verse 12. He says, uh, uh, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. You are set free in Christ. In Christ, sin no longer controls you. Paul wrote a lot about that in Romans 6, 7, and 8, that you have been delivered from sin. You're no longer in bondage to sin. And you have the law of liberty in you. You have the freedom to do what's right. So it doesn't matter how you were raised or how you've been thinking for the last 40 years. What matters is what you do now and what you do next. That's what matters. So even if you were raised in a presidential, presidential, yeah, well, you could be raised in a presidential environment, I guess, a prejudicial environment, even if you were raised in that, you could overcome it. And you have to overcome the presidency too, apparently. And, uh, but you have the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and you were a servant of Christ, and you've been delivered from it. And even if you previously showed partiality for or against certain people, you can grow beyond your petty prejudices. I had a friend in the Marine Corps who was actually a member of KKK, which is an exclusive white anti-everybody, but especially anti-black organization. And he was a member of KKK. And, and he grew and he changed. And uh, later on, he was even dating a girl who was Hispanic. How did that happen? We can change, we can grow, 
we can mature and we can move beyond the limitations that we have had in our past or in our culture. So uh, to be judged by the law of liberty is to be fully accountable because Christ has set you free. So you can overcome your previous habits. Maybe you have struggled with a, uh, an addiction of some sort. You can overcome that because Christ has set you free. It takes work. It's hard work to overcome addictions, but we can have the liberty in Christ to be able to do that. Now look at verse 9. If you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Jump down to verse 18. For judgment, or verse 13, judgment is without mercy, to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if you want mercy, you must give mercy. You must show mercy to other people. God's laws equally apply to all. <coughs> Allergies. God's laws apply to everybody. Now, I made a comment last week about <clears throat> the accountability that we have within the church. And I said that somebody even asked me about 80 cents. And I, I, don't, I, I don't want to give you the wrong idea. We don't have nitpicking people who keep track of our finances and oversee things. And you spent 80 cents more than you should have spent. What's wrong with you? We don't have people like that, okay? The, the goal was to make sure that every expense is a legitimate church expense. And, and it doesn't matter whether it's 80 cents or $80 or $8,000. We want to make sure every expense is legitimate. And so we verified that and we looked at that. We don't have people in the church who are angry and belittle. We used to have people that complained about everything. Uh, but praise the Lord, they're now with the Lord and they don't complain about anything anymore. Uh, but, but we have the joy of serving together and we show mercy to one another. We, we hold each other accountable, talked about that a little last week, but we also show mercy because we desperately need it. We're sinners and, and we're going to struggle because we're still on earth. We're going to have some difficulties. Now, some of your struggles might not be mine. Some of mine might not be yours. But God's laws apply equally to all of us. All have sinned and come short. All have. And if you break any one of God's laws, you're a lawbreaker, and you're subject to the full judgment that comes from lawbreakers. Now, in our culture... Uh, adultery is perfectly acceptable in our culture, not in the church and not in God's family. But in our culture, they think, oh, well, whatever. You know, although actually my unsaved neighbors, when they found out somebody's spouse had been cheating, they were really upset about that. Even though they were comfortable living outside of marriage, living together, 
They thought if you're with somebody, you should be faithful. Even unsaved people thought that. But, so maybe that's not a good illustration. But, but in our culture, normally we think it's okay to lie. Culturally, out there, those people, you know. Okay? But, but we recognize that we're supposed to be people of the truth. And, but if you lie, you break the law of God. Now, in our culture, you can go to jail for lying if you, like, lie to Congress or you lie in a specific thing. But for the most part, lies are just like, oh, well, it happened, it's done. In fact, politically, they say sometimes you have to lie in order to get elected. Man, don't you wish we could have politicians that didn't lie and then they get elected and they did what they said they were going to do before they got elected? That'd be great. Uh, but, but if you... God's laws, if you violate a law, you're a lawbreaker. And so in our culture, to go to prison requires a significant offense called a felony offense or multiple offenses of uh, a non-felony, repeated offenses, you can go to prison for that. But in God's laws, every sin is a sin. And every person who has sinned is a sinner. And all sinners deserve hell. The wages of sin is death. But thankfully, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We can have our sins forgiven. But what we need to do is realize we're guilty. You cannot get saved. You cannot receive Christ unless you first realize you're a sinner. And when you realize you're a sinner, then you can be saved. And so God says through James, he's saying, listen, when you violate that law, you're a lawbreaker. And great that you didn't murder anybody. That's great. But you violated the law and you need God's mercy desperately. And God in his mercy forgives our sin. He doesn't give us the punishment we deserve. And we're grateful for that. But then he expects you to show mercy to other people. You to show mercy to other people. What does that look like? Well, I, I use a, a simple little four-letter word, kind. Be kind to people. That's a way of showing mercy to them. Show kindness to them. In fact, uh, when uh, Matthew was, Jesus was speaking and Matthew recorded the Sermon on the Mount, he said these words in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now the opposite of that, or the corollary to that, is that if you don't show mercy, you won't receive it. You have to show mercy in order to receive mercy. And God wants us to be merciful like he is merciful. How many sins of yours was Jesus willing to forgive? All of them. First John 1 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He makes us spotlessly clean and he forgives everything. And God wants us to show his mercy to other people. So last Sunday we looked at doing the word doing the work. And that's what James is talking about. When people are coming in, you need to do what God's word says. 
You need to not show partiality to people because God is anti-prejudice. He doesn't want it because of the color of skin. He doesn't want it because of the educational achievement. He doesn't want it because of their financial. He doesn't want it because of their uh, status, married status or social status or any of that. He wants you to be non-prejudiced to other people and you to accept the responsibility to show mercy. How many of you love it when somebody else has shown mercy to you? Any of you ever gotten pulled over by a police officer and they gave you a warning? Anybody experience that? Doesn't that feel good? Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you love that mercy. Well, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to be the ones to show God's mercy to other people. Maybe you're going to go out to lunch today. You're going to be at a restaurant. They're going to be slow. You're going to get your food. It's not going to be exactly the way you wanted it. You, you know, you're going to, are you going to show mercy? I, Kathy and I <laughs> ate lunch with friends a long time ago. I mean, like the first year we were married, we ate lunch with these friends. And they nitpicked the waitress. They took us out, I don't know, breakfast or lunch, I don't remember. And then they nitpicked the waitress so they could justify not giving a tip. And then as we were leaving, I snuck back to the table and left a tip. I was just embarrassed. Show mercy. And if you're ever going to leave a gospel track or one of the cards that invite people to our church, make sure you leave a generous tip. No. I had a friend in California who said, I gave them the best tip they could have. I left them a gospel track so they could know how to be saved. And my daughter was a waitress. You know what all the other waitresses did with the tracks they got that didn't include a good tip? Threw them away. God wants you to show to every person you interact with that you are special to God, that they are special to God. He wants you to, to use that. And, and it's great we can do that when people come into church, but he wants us to do it in our neighborhood. He wants us to do it on our job. Now, I mean, that's really easy for Ben on his job because he mostly works with Teresa so he can show mercy to her, his wife. Uh, but, but he wants you to do it to everybody. And Ben's had some obnoxious clients come in to order things and then grumble when he did it exactly the way they wanted it. He wants us to show mercy. It doesn't mean you let people trample all over you, but it does mean you make sure you don't embarrass Jesus Christ. Now, some of you, like me, have in the past struggled with temper. You need to set that aside and show mercy to other people. Tonight, the, or the afternoon service, we're going to be talking about how God hates hatred. God hates hatred. Uh, Proverbs 6, how God doesn't like it when people um, kill somebody, hands that shed innocent blood. But Jesus then raises the bar in the, the Sermon on the Mount and says, if you have hatred in your heart, it's as if you've committed murder. So Jesus raises the standard up there. I mean, it's great that you don't kill anybody, but God has a little higher standard than that. And so God does not want you to be prejudiced
toward anyone for any reason. He doesn't excuse their sin. They're fully accountable. He talks about the judgment. If you violated the law, you're guilty of it. But he wants you to be the people who show his grace and his mercy to other people. Now, I tell you, it's hard with some people, isn't it? Some people, like, they intentionally try and dig in and hurt, and it does hurt sometimes. But we need to learn to leave that with God and trust God enough to do what He says and trust that it will work out well. God is anti-prejudice. Did I get that across to you today? He wants His people to be anti-prejudice too. Don't give in to any of the stereotypical prejudices in our culture. Follow Christ. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.